Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Megan. I'm pretty excited about this episode. Me too. So we're coming to you on a Sunday with one of our more than mom episodes. And it, it really doesn't get much more like warm, cozy, and maybe a little bit of fluffy as a whole conversation about personalities, especially as it relates to our significant others, which is what we're doing today. Um, you know, we've talked a lot, kind of a lot. I feel like we've tried to back off it a little bit um, as of late, but the Enneagram and other kinds of personality tests, we love talking about it on the show, but we talk about it at least a hundred times as much. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> off the show behind the scenes, but we haven't really talked a whole lot about how that plays out in our relationships, um, without, not with each other. Right. And especially our significant others. Yeah, no, we haven't. And, um, you know, you all know we have significant others and Megan, your, um, coupling has been like a more of a story thread on the mom hour the last few years because you divorced and were single and dating and you've, you've been really like, uh, I guess, taking everybody through that journey, if you will. But now you've been coupled for a couple of years. So you have more of like uh, the type of relationship that I think lends itself to this kind of conversation. And I, I want to say at the outset that like we wouldn't do an episode where we get to kind of poke fun at our romantic relationships and the personality quirks that sometimes make things challenging or that we see patterns about. We wouldn't do this if things were so like, negative or toxic in our relationships that we were just going to bash our partner for an hour. So while we are going to get into some challenging personality mixes, like that our personality mixed with our partners makes for challenge. I mean, I think we're having a lot of fun with this today. And in fact, this episode airs on Brian's birthday. So that would be really mean of me to air a podcast episode where (laughs) then I just complained about his personality. It would be. And that's not our intent. I think we both know that there are certain things about 
both of us and our personalities that can be challenging. And then sometimes it's just the mix. Like it's the making two things um, fit. And I will also say that in my relationship, there's definitely like an opposites attract kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. So it's like the thing that the other person is, you're like baffled by it, but also it's part of what makes things work. Um, And I think that there's, it, it also shines a light on what can be kind of, um, troubling, challenging about yourself, which I find super valuable for myself. So Eric and I actually talk, we don't talk a ton about actual personality tests and we'll get into that later, but we do talk kind of a lot about our personal tendencies Mm -hmm. and, um, traits and like how they do or do not mesh sometimes. And so it's, it's an open topic ongoing, um, inside our relationship as well. I think that's so cool actually, because you guys coming together in your forties, have had decades of life without each other. And so I would imagine that those um, patterns and tendencies are more just ingrained. And then you had time that you were single and Brian and I have been together since we were 21 and 22. So it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's really, really locked in in a way. Um, But I've also had my whole life to become self-aware and like to not kind of, uh, I mean, having been married for a long time to somebody that I've started being with when I was really young. I think when I was younger, it was harder to allow for differences without feeling like I had to change or like meld into what he was or that he had to change or meld into what I was. And I feel like the person I was at the end of like a 20 year marriage was kind of like a muddled version of the person I went in as. And some of that just happens over time, but it is very different to go into a relationship in my forties and be like, Oh no, this is who I am. And I can see who you are. And I have the wisdom now to be able to tell the difference. Yeah. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of factor meals. We tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. 
And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Bionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. All right. Well, like you mentioned, Megan, to enjoy this episode, one does not need to speak the language of Myers-Briggs or Enneagram. And in fact, neither of our partners really does. So we're going to try to talk personalities generally, but then there are also some helpful typing systems that are, are useful if you're into that kind of thing. So before we even get to the partners, I think we should just remind everybody of how we think of our own personality types and also like how much that knowledge works into our everyday self-identity. So for me, I know I'm an Enneagram one and I do think about the Enneagram quite a bit in my everyday life. I talk about it a lot with you and with other close friends. So I would say my Enneagram oneness is sort of like it's it's always around when I think about when I'm trying to be self-aware. Whereas for Myers-Briggs, I am the logistician, which is ISTJ. Those are my four Myers-Briggs letters. Um, And now there's a new letter. It's either assertive or turbulent. So A or T. So I am an ISTJA, which is the logistician. Um, But I don't really know that much or think too much about Myers-Briggs at all. Um, So that one is like not I don't think about it that much. And then I also like Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. I am an upholder. Um, I don't think about it too much, but whenever I see others talking about those four tendencies and see like little up upholder memes, I'm always like, oh yeah, that's very me. Yeah. Okay. So I'm an Enneagram too. That is it kind of depending on which test you're taking, it can be referred to as the helper. Um, it's like the, you know, the, the Enneagram one is like the rules oriented and I'm more of like the relationship oriented. I guess that's like the easiest way to kind of sum it up. And then for the Myers-Briggs, um, the last time I took the test and I've taken it a few times in the past few years, I did use the 16 personalities website, but you're right. They have really redone it now. And it's, um, I think it's really cool now how they they, um, have the types grouped by like subtypes. Yeah. Because to me, that makes, makes a lot more sense when you're trying to like put yourself, especially if you're like on the edge with one of the letters mm-hmm. and it goes back and forth, like why you might fit better in one category than the other. I find it helpful, but I've been an ENFP literally every time I've taken a Myers-Briggs test my entire life. And that is the campaigner. Um, okay. interestingly, an ENFP is also one who is an extrovert who can kind of masquerade at times as an introvert mm-hmm. tends to prefer um, smaller groups, more intimate conversation, which I just think is interesting because even not all introverts and extroverts are the same. Like there's all these other underlying yeah. things that can make your introversion or your extroversion just kind of play out a little bit differently. And I guess I would say that I don't spend a lot of time anymore thinking about, um, Myers Briggs because of the Enneagram. And I really love personality tests. I've been into them for a long time and I learned a lot about myself from um, learning more about the Myers-Briggs, you know, my Myers-Briggs types and how that typing system worked. But I feel like what I didn't get out of it is a real in-depth, like, okay, now what? Like, you know, I, I found out this is what I am and I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yep. That's me. And here's my 
tendencies and here's my weaknesses and here's my strengths. And then I just kind of moved on and didn't really figure out. And maybe it's just because I was younger and not as self-aware. I don't know, but I never used it as a tool to help me cope with other relationships with other types. Um, whereas the Enneagram, I think it's now been over 10 years since you and I both, um, kind of got into that. I have found that to be quite life-changing and really like there's so many layers and there's so much depth to it yeah. that I feel like I could just keep digging and digging. I'm sure that's also the way it is. I, I'm sure if I got into Myers-Briggs the same, I would find the same. It's just Enneagram was the one that spoke to me and, and the ability to not only give yourself a type, but then to understand um, your, your deepest fear or deepest yeah. need based on that type. And then kind of where you are on the health scale to yeah. me, it just really speaks to me. I would agree with that. And I also wonder if there's um, so much of this is just a language with which to talk about yourself and your relationships with other people or to read about it. So like, I just wonder if any, everyone in my circles has been more into Enneagram. So I have had really interesting and thoughtful discussions that really aren't about the Enneagram. They're about self-awareness and relationships and motivations and fear and growth. And so I just, I also wonder if that would be totally possible with a different framework. And to me, it's sort of like, which is the entry point and who else in your circles is willing to kind of play in this sandbox with you? Yeah, I totally agree because on their own, none of these are as um, impactful. Like the fact that you and I have talked so much about Enneagram has helped me figure out so much about other people in my life and other relationships that we'll talk about a little bit later because it's all how you relate to other people. (laughs) None of this is happening in a vacuum. Right. And, um, yeah, I guess if I had a lot of other people in my life who were super into Myers-Briggs and all had tested themselves and wanted to talk about it, then I could probably go as deep there too. It's just, I don't have that quite as much as I have the Enneagram. Yeah. And you also mentioned Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. I feel like, um, when I've done that, so I know that I can be a rebel, but I think I can also be an obliger. And that's put me in kind of an interesting place. I think she, like, if you picture the quadrant, like, like Northeast Southwest, kind of like that kind of a quadrant, I think you can be in the rebel quadrant and then just closer to obliger. I'm picturing it visually. Um, And it's been a while since I really dug in. Um, But I definitely think that can be kind of like with Enneagram and the wings. It's like, which of the other ones? So you'd be like a rebel with an obliger wing to use, like to mix our language here. Well, and didn't, didn't hers also have a thing where she laid it out. Maybe I just need to brush myself up on it because I feel like there was one type who, um, rebels against external limits and the other kind rebels against internal limits or follows internal limits or, or Mm -hmm. external. And I, I remember when I read it, it became more clear that one of them was, you know, definitely me. And now I just don't remember which one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can link, we can link that up. Um, but yes, that, that they're all about how you respond to internal and external expectations. And so I think it's a questioner actually who resists outside expectations, but is usually pretty good at following internal expectations. Whereas a, a rebel would rebel against both and needs to sort of right. trick herself into, if you want to like <laughs> make a plan or stick to a goal, you have to find a way to do it that works with your rebel tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So with all of that said, what about our significant others? So is Eric into personality tests? Does he tolerate them? Does he think they're terrible? Like, where is Eric? <laughs> what does he think of um, all this? So Eric really likes to talk about 
all things like having to do with psychology and relationships. He's into that. Okay. Um, I think he has seen himself as untestable <laughs> in a way in the past. And like, I know you're laughing because well, like spoiler alert, we, I think that Eric and you are the same. Um, and so do you, Yeah. but, but I don't know if that, if, you know, if that resonates with you at all, but I just think he has like a feeling like he cannot be, he can't be pinned down mm-hmm. like, you know, or, and he's even said before, well, I've taken these tests and I come up one number one time and a different number, a different time. And, and so he kind of thinks, I don't think he's like, thinks they're stupid or anything. I think he thinks they're interesting, but maybe is a little hesitant to be labeled Yeah, or maybe, um, just doesn't feel like something has accurately encapsulated all the specialness that is Eric. So, but I think he's intrigued. He never, he wouldn't shut me down if I was talking about it. I just don't, I think he's a little suspicious maybe. Yes. I think I come to this with a natural suspicion too. What I have, where I have grown over time is like allowing there to be some suspicion and benefiting from it at the same time. Like those not being mutually exclusive for me. For Brian, it's funny you say Eric is, he likes to talk about psychology and relationships a lot. I don't think that's naturally super interesting to Brian at all. So I don't actually think he comes to personality tests, even as a subset of talking about like self-knowledge. I think he's open to it, but I don't think he has a natural interest in it the way I do. He has had to do quite a few like corporate and businessy personality typing. I don't know what you call it when it's like for work, it's not necessarily a personality type, but it is, it's like, there's a million of them. Um, yes. That companies do. Um, and actually every time he does it, he enjoys the process and he like kind of will bring home a packet and be like, yeah, this is really interesting. Or we're using this in our, on our team now, but then like, it's kind of like in one ear and out the other. I don't think he thinks about it going forward regularly. Um, And I think he also has like, I don't know if it's suspicion or just like, it doesn't feel necessary to him. I think that's what it is. Uh, It's like, I am not seeking this knowledge. So, um, just like Eric, I don't think he feels super judgy or if I brought it up, he'd be open to it, but it's not, he is not looking to them for opportunities for self-exploration. Um, but if like, if I brought out a personality test, he'd be like, sure, I'll do it. And then he'd have a good conversation about it. But then it's like, it's not filling a need. I think that's where I'm circling around. So he's got a more practical outlook on some of this kind of um, conversation. And I will get into his personality, but he's just sort of like happy with the way things are. That is a gift and and potentially um, like a wrinkle. It's just like, he's not looking to know or change anything. That's he's not looking to like add waves where there don't need to be waves or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So then I think it would be interesting to hear if you guys talk about like talk about personality typing when you are having relationship conversations, you and Eric, like, are you like, oh, you're such a one or like, how does that work? Yeah. So, um, well before, no, because he, he said he could not be sure. numbered and I didn't want to go against that. I will say lately because you turned me on to the, the Enneagram Institute, I believe it is, yes. um, emails that yes. they send a daily email and you can like set it up to, to send you like one type or two. I think maybe two is Just the limit to two. Yeah. Yeah. So I have it send me every day an email with the, like a daily, it's just like a little tidbit of information for those two types. And I chose my type and Eric's type. And 
every now and then I'll screenshot it and send it to him. And, um, I actually think it has led to some, if not necessarily conversation, it's led to maybe a little more of an openness or a curiosity on his part. Uh And I I think that the downside of that is that to really understand what that, how that relates to you as your type, you have to really understand that the, any, you have to understand the Enneagram and how it works and that it's not, if it says something like, I'm just thinking of a recent example. There was something about um, Eric's type, not, not maybe says something like watch out for the tendency in yourself today to not fully um, connect with people or something Uh like that. And he thought that that meant like his type can't connect with people. And that's not how it is. It's like any type can do anything, right? And it's distilled it into like a daily horoscope almost. So you have to know that there's like more, more behind that. Exactly. Exactly. But I do think it's been, uh, we definitely talk about our personalities a lot. I just don't know that the typing comes up as much. How about you guys? I I love that you do that. That's part of your everyday conversation. Actually. Um, I feel like it's something I talk about more with my close girlfriends and then less with Brian, but it kind of makes me want to. So a few years ago, like I'm going to say five years ago now, maybe, um, we did one big like Enneagram deep dive. I think the kids were watching a movie. We were having like happy hour on a Friday evening. And I, I think I had like almost a shyness about like bringing him into this world. Like it was something silly I talked about with my friends and that he wouldn't take it seriously or think it was dumb. And so I got over that and we did one big deep dive for him where he took the Enneagram test. Um, and we read a bunch of like there, you know, on the, um, Enneagram Institute, website where you can read like the two, your two types as a relationship Mm -hmm. and the type confusions, if you're not sure which number you are. And we just like totally geeked out over it. And it was really, really fun. And we kind of talked about it and referenced it for a few days. But then again, back to like, I don't think it's something that really comes up for us normally or for him personally, but it was fun. Um, and then just recently I was out of town and I came back and Luke had gotten the whole family to do the 16 personalities, Myers-Briggs. So I came home and even the kids had all typed themselves and Brian had taken it again. I think he'd taken that one before, but they had the new language. The, the, the labels were new to me, like the defender and the advocate. Cause I have just gotten used to the four letters. Like I'm an ISTJ, but so that was kind of fun and funny that I came home and like my whole family was all of a sudden into Myers-Briggs again. Um, and so that, that led to some fun conversations. So I'm going to say, on a day-to-day basis, no, we don't at all. But there have been some fun deep dives that have just led to fun conversations. So that makes sense. And I and I will also say that I think one reason Eric and I talk about our personalities as much as we do is we're still figuring it out. Like yeah. our relationship has been around a while, but it's still new enough that like we're still trying to figure out why is this thing that you do drive me crazy? Yeah. And how will it be different from other relationships in the past that didn't work out? Like there's those yeah. kinds of things. We're not married. We haven't been together for decades. So it's, it's like, we're still trying to figure out, we're just, we'll st- we're still figuring each other out, but also ourselves mm-hmm. in the relationship out. And you guys have probably just to some degree, like moved past the stage where that's either fascinating or necessary, <laughs> you know, maybe, so, but yeah. I actually like, I like the idea of, again, having language or framework that just um, introduces that just like bro- helps broach topics. Um, so I, yeah. I think that long timers, um, could benefit from it too. And the ha- having this episode is making me want to like, Oh, that would, that would be fun to like 
use that as an entry point into a relationship conversation or just integrate it more into our everyday vocabulary in the same way that it's part of your and my everyday vocabulary and mine with my two high school besties. So, yeah. Well, there is that book. Um, there's the one that everyone talks about. I think it's called The Road Back to You or The Road yeah, I've read Something that. to You. That's mm-hmm. the Enneagram book. But there's a follow-up about relationships specifically. And I think okay. it's called The Path Between Us okay. or I'll look it up. It's something like that. And that I did read that. I, it's, it's been a few years and it was prior to meeting Eric. Um, I would like to read it again because it's how to take what you learned and bring it into a relationship. Okay. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. So. I like it. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't actually said what their types are. Um, we've only said how they feel about typing in general. So maybe we should do that real quick before the break. Um, do you want to go first and talk about Eric? Did you, you, did you already tease this? Uh, well, I did a little bit. So I'm, I mean, I'm a hundred percent, well, I'm 97% sure at this point that Eric is a one just like you, but you helped me okay. to come to that conclusion I because forgot. you thought he was, um, did you think I, he was an eight? I think I thought he was a nine. Okay. I thought he was a nine. Then I thought maybe he was an eight. So John was an eight and there were just a few like little, I don't know, similarities that kind of freaked me out because once you've had one relationship not work, you're kind of looking for like, what's going to be like that yeah. in the next, you know, the next yeah. time. Um, but then I realized those were kind of surfacey things and that, and that it was something else. And I, you know, Eric can really come off as a peacemaker and he can, and that's the nine. And, and there's a lot of things that, mm-hmm. that in a nine seemed like him, but then the more I got to know him and dug in on some of his tendencies, the more I was like, I think this is a one. And then when you and I talked about it, like every time we've talked about it, (laughs) you have confirmed that he is absolutely a one, which isn't to say you guys are exactly the same all the time in all ways. There's just, I feel like you can just recognize it Mm -hmm. when I say something. Yeah. 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 It's, I think I, I don't, I can't speak for you, but I really enjoyed the times where you can talk to me about Eric and it's not like you're complaining or bashing, but like more like you're perplexed. And I Mm -hmm. can just hear you. And like, it's like, as you're talking, it's like a wave of self-recognition. And actually what it does is make me aware of some of my tendencies. And then also maybe hopefully give you an insight into like, okay, yes, but this is important to him because, or he's afraid of this. I don't know. I have liked it. It's like a weird, a weird love triangle we're in. (laughs) I I love that. And I, I have a feeling that when we start talking about our specific challenges uh-huh. and like how the reframing happens. I know you've helped me reframe things for sure Good. with Eric to see them a little bit differently, but I just have, I just wonder how much we both might both be kind of cringing. Oh yeah. <laughs> just hearing the other one talk about, I don't right. know all of this stuff. So oh, totally. that'll be interesting. Um, and then with Myers-Briggs, I have, I don't really know. I, I don't know that Eric's ever taken a Myers-Briggs test. Um, but I believe when I look at it now that they've got it kind of, um, organized by, you know, subtype, it was pretty easy for me to go. I think he's in the Sentinel group. Okay. And I either think he's the defender or the console, depending on whether he would identify as an introvert or an extrovert. And I am still not sure. He keeps telling me that he's introverted and yet all signs point to extrovert with him. So Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think he's every bit as extroverted as me and in some cases more so. So, um, but both of those make sense. And I think what's kind of cool about the Myers-Briggs construct is that the letters, yes, they're all separate. They all mean something different, 
But when you put them all together, like the sum is greater than the, wait, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So like the I and the, it wouldn't be like, I'm exactly the same. Like an ESFJ is exactly the same as in the ISFJ only one's extroverted and one's introverted. Yeah. The introversion or extroversion like affects a, then a everything chemical else. reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It changes yeah. the amount, the amalgamation. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, good word. Uh, yeah. I'm not sh- quite sure that was the right word, but we'll go with it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, what I appreciated about the Myers-Briggs cause I just redid it is I forgot that you also get a sliding scale with each of those letters. So when you were talking about Eric and extroversion and introversion, I am a pretty extroverted introvert. Like I am an introvert, but I actually don't mind small talk. I don't, I don't mind meeting new people. Um, and to see it visually on the scale, I think I scored 65, 35. So 65% introverted, 35% extroverted, which is, I think that's about right. Um, and there was one other letter where I was only like 55, 45. So really I'm like pretty close to the middle. Um, and I think that's helpful to remember too, um, is that it's not a total binary with each of those letters that you can kind of along the continuum. So, yeah. Um, for Brian's types, when we did that deep dive about five years ago, he took the test and he tested an Enneagram two. And I literally was like, Nope, you're not, you're a nine, which is a very, a very one thing of me to be like, Nope, like, I know more about this. Not. <laughs> I'm right. Yes. Don't listen to that website. Now in my defense, um, Enneagram literature will tell you Um, that the test is a tool, but really like when you start to read and understand the types, you truly can type yourself. I don't know if that's true of others, but you, you, the one that it feels the most right for you is really your type. And so I don't know about the one that feels most right to your spouse, because I decided he's a nine who are peacemakers and agreeable and sometimes have trouble, like even knowing what they want or like kind of declaring what they want. Um, nines can be very how to say this nicely, right? Like nines are very accommodating. Um, yeah. And so they can kind of absorb the personalities of those around them. Um, so I want to just briefly say, cause I yeah. dated somebody for some time who I believe was a nine. And I remember reading about the type and a word stuck out at me. Um, I believe it was the any Enneagram Institute's description. It said that nines when they're not like mm, in their, in themselves, you know, mm-hmm. like when they don't have yeah. a firm sense of who they are can be lightweight. Oh, interesting. And I think there was even something about them maybe just kind of not even being there. Like like they can kind of just be whatever. Chameleons. Right? So, they can be chameleons. They can go yeah. with the flow to yeah. Yeah. To almost to losing themselves. That can be one of the exactly. downsides. Um, so here's the thing. We read the side by side type two versus type nine confusion page, which I find those so fascinating if you are confused. And even Brian was like, you're right. I think I am more of a nine, but then that was five years ago. We haven't continued digging in. And I have wondered, maybe I was too quick to that conclusion. Maybe there is two-ness in him. I think I've known all female twos. And I think Mm. traditional gender roles um, can sometimes confuse this issue. And I think of twos as helpers in (laughs) in a way that maybe my definition of help is more um, like stereotypically female and domestic oriented. And so I was yeah. like, no, you're not a two. Anyway, he's either a two or a nine and he hasn't cared to dig deeper. And either way, it's okay. When he did the Myers-Briggs just recently, he tested ENFJ and then A, because there's the new letter at the end that's either A or T. 
Um, and that is the protagonist. And so he, that's almost the same letters as you, Megan, except for the yeah. last one. So just the last one. And I don't know what my, if it's a or T on the end for me, but, um, I'll have to take it again to find out. Um, I just want to quickly say about the two thing to, to as well. Also, um, some of the descriptions of what it means to be a two, I do not personally in any way relate to. I don't think, for example, I don't think of myself as a flatterer and that comes up a lot. Like Mm -hmm. a two will use flattery to try to uh, like prove their value or get people on their side. I don't think that's me. And I'm also not particularly like, I don't really let people walk all over me. I'm not a doormat. And that can be another kind of two um, a stereotype that I think does kind of feel very female oriented or gendered in that way. So, um, I just would say that like, for me every now and then I'll think, am I really a two? Maybe I'm a seven. And Mm -hmm. when I come back to basics, I still think I'm a two, but not everything presents in me like a two. And I would say the same about the one. I'm not prone to certain things. Yeah. You know, there's, there are definitely things that always come up about the ones, especially as it relates to, um, more high-minded ideals and idealism. The one can be called the idealist and then they'll compare it to like mother Teresa and Gandhi or something about like making the world <laughs> like, like a more perfect version of itself. And my oneness just doesn't come out in altruism or um, like, hi- like high-minded ideals. It comes out in making my very small influenceable world more right or just or perfect, mm-hmm. but, um, ones can, yeah, there's a lot of descriptions about ones that I'm like, no, that's not me. And I think if you really do geek out about the Enneagram, then you can get into the subtypes and some other things. So Sarah, our sponsor, Haya health makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the mom hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. 
In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. All right. So talking about Eric, um, what are the more challenging personality traits and I, and challenging, they just are what they are, right? This is neutral. It's, it's Eric is who he is, but as it relates to you, from your perspective, what comes up for his most challenging personality traits? Yeah. Um, and yeah, this is so, again, I don't feel like I'm complaining at all, but this is so relative to the person, the other person's like tendencies that I think it'll just be interesting to hear what challenges us each. Yeah. So I would say for me, the thing that like raises my blood pressure the most, um, is Eric has this ability to see in like painful detail, every possible thing that could go wrong in every potential situation. And not only he sees it, but he also talks it it out loud. He Mm -hmm. says it. Um, so for two reasons, first of all, it can kind of feel like a wet blanket being thrown over an idea or something, but that, you know, that is less of it. It's, I think more that it feels insulting sometimes because I really do think things through before I do it. And I'm not just willy nilly, like running around, coming up with ideas and just like, well, I don't know, let's just do it. I really am thinking about it. So I feel like sometimes he's talking down to me or like Mm -hmm. assuming that I'm just, I don't know, just like flailing through life. And that's not really true. I guess the difference is I don't spend a ton of time worrying about things that I have decided for whatever like criteria in my brain makes me decide this. If I don't think it's likely to happen or if I've already gone through it in my head and I thought, well, even if that does happen, it's going to be okay. Like if I've already done that work internally. Yeah. I don't spend any more energy on it. I just move forward with whatever. And then if it happens, it happens. And I just, I don't need to go back through and like out loud rehash all the things that could go wrong. And um, we'll talk about reframing in a little bit, but that's, he does. (laughs) He does need to talk about all of those things out loud, sometimes quite repetitively in my opinion. Yeah. So that's a challenge. Yeah, that is. And again, I, I can relate and see how that would be challenging. Um, so one that comes up for me with Brian is a really a positive personality trait that can feel that can cause tension, but I still see it, I guess, in that positive reframe that we'll get to later, but it is an ability to make the best of and go with the flow in and sort of like find peace, no matter what is happening. And in a parenting partnership, to me, this can look like not caring or, um, I'm losing the word, but, um, abdication kind of abdicating (laughs) the, the give a crapness to Uh me when in fact, I don't think that's the intention. The it's just this innate ability to make the best of literally any situation that can look like inertia to me or lack of initiative. And 
we, mm. we know what I am like in terms of initiative and ones want to improve things almost all the time and actually find joy and satisfaction in improving things. So to be partnered with someone who truly like at a foundational level doesn't see much that needs to be improved, you could frame that as like um, being in the present moment and having gratitude. It can also come across as just not like not caring or not seeing yeah not seeing what needs to be done. So that is one yeah. that where we are in direct conflict. And I also have a feeling that gender roles play a part here yes. because just to be really stereotypical, it's more likely that moms are going to be thinking, anticipating uh-huh. like this, just reality. Yep. And it's more likely that dads are going to be kind of going with the flow. And then when you have someone whose personality makes them do that even more, yeah, in either direction, like then, yeah, that point of tension. Um, I can see that for sure. Um, okay. Well, I'll just name one more yeah. challenge about, um, Eric and it's, I can find it grating when he makes assumptions. First of all, you know, I don't like to have assumptions made about me. I don't do like not. to be under, yeah. like, there's a lot about that. That's about me, and my triggers, but, um, there's a, like a tendency to jump to a conclusion based on past experiences. And I understand like history is a great teacher, right? But I don't think we're fated for experiences to repeat themselves. Right. And right. just because something happened once doesn't mean like, so, okay, if I did this thing incorrectly once and there was a, you know, a bad result, I probably learned from that. And that doesn't mean it'll never happen again, yeah. but it also doesn't mean that it's going to happen exactly the same way again yeah. and again and again. And there's that saying that I use with Eric a lot, which is when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. And I think there's just a bias toward historical data and yeah. like the errors that may have come out of past choices Yeah, that to me feels overly strong. Yes. That's fascinating. I actually really like so. that one. It's not something I've heard you say before about Eric or about ones in general, but I think that's, um, it's sort of inflexible thinking is what it is. Like Mm. ones, ones really like to sort things into order and categories. And so to decide like this outcome is guaranteed because this happened before is arbitrarily placing a world order on events that you don't see as like, like, why would that be the case? It just doesn't make sense. And so to me, it totally tracks with being a one, um, but not something I'd thought about. So that's interesting. Um, well, I have another one too. Um, I, I'm, I wonder which Myers-Briggs letter this is, as I describe it, you will probably tell me it might be the second one, the N or the S, but Brian is incredibly responsive to what's happening in the moment, which again, can be a gift. And will often in parenting give an answer or make a decision that I react to as like, well, first of all, like you haven't thought through A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. But second of all, you didn't check in with me. And it feels like, Mm. um, it feels sort of, I guess, dismissive that he would just, a kid comes up and asks a question about if, can they go somewhere? Can they do something? What are we having for dinner? Whatever. And I can see it in him. He's truly like in the moment and responding the best way that he can without thinking about the implications of said answer. And in parenting, that can cause like co-parenting stress because it's like, well, wait, hold on. You didn't even ask me like I had a different plan for that. Or that kid already asked me that and I gave them a different answer. Like 
this is like parenting 101. Like we have to at least have the moment of eye contact where we're checking in with each other. And what I think it is, is it's like, um, it's operating out of that intuitiveness or that set. I, I get the, the S and the N and that sensing intuiting. I think I've always understood them slightly wrong, but, um, whereas I'm going to apply a logic lens and like a sequential, um, I, I guess like series of, um, analyses to something he is truly going with his, with his gut in the moment and in a relationship that can feel dismissive or like, like, what were you thinking when you said that? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I will just say I can, I hearing that I'm just thinking about as, you know, from a co-parenting relationship, um, and my ex-husband is, I think, I believe a, an eight, but there's some definite one tendencies and that like need to have order in your world is one of them. And I know that used to drive him crazy. If I would make decisions in the moment, not about everything. Sometimes I wasn't sure what, like which things he cared about and which he didn't, which also got a little confusing at times, but like, I know that would be upsetting to him. And I remember feeling like, well, I just had to deal with it. Like it was in the moment. I just dealt with it. What's the big deal. And I think it did feel, uh, hurtful in some ways to him. Like dismissive is a good way of putting it. Like it, like his input didn't matter or the outcomes that might like all the wrong things that could happen based on me. Yeah. Green lighting, whatever thing the kid wanted or not green lighting it. Um, again, like I totally know that that was an issue for us with, parenting together. Yeah. Interestingly, it doesn't seem to have been a, as big of a deal with Eric and I, because we're largely making decisions for our own household separately. Yeah. And I think that makes a huge difference, but every now and then something like that will come up where I don't bother to consult with him. Cause mm-hmm. I just want to keep things moving along, I guess, or I don't yeah. think it's a big deal. And actually in his mind, it's a very big deal. And I'll I just didn't you, think it through. I'll tell you when it, when it, uh, crosses that line to feeling dismissive is, um, with parenting and with like, let's say a kid asks and he says like, sure. Yeah. Video games are fine this afternoon. No big deal. Then the next moment he'll look at me and then he'll say, well, what do you think? Or let's check <laughs> in with mom. And I'm like, right. well, now but he's I'm already the given the green guy. light. Yeah. So right. like you, it's either one or the other, either you're in that moment, you were the decider. And then of course, like, that's fine. Let's go with that. But then, then also looking to me like for approval or like for buy-in and it's like well that's not fair because they like I can't say no because then right then everything anyway so that that happens yeah that happens in our house yeah um okay well let's take some of these traits and talk about some positive reframes or what we've learned in our relationships by coming up against these personality traits that maybe are challenging so talk about some reframes for Eric's challenging etc behavior Yeah. Well, I think for me, this is like one reframe that applies to like basically everything. And that's just that, um, it's really not about me. Yeah. (laughs) So that's, that was like the hardest thing because I think when I would get upset by things, it's because I was taking it super personally. Like he was underestimating my ability to do things right or to do things thoughtfully or whatever. Right. But I think what I've kind of realized is if he asks me, you know, 10,000 questions that seem obvious to me, like I've already gone through it in my head. Why do we have to talk about this or whatever? It's not, it's not because he doubts my intelligence. It's like he's processing out loud. And that's like a whole different thing, how people process stuff. And if we have time, um, I'll talk a little bit about how that's different between the two of us. But it's like, 
he just feels a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. as a decision maker, as the person responsible for fallout. Um, yeah. And so for him to do his due diligence, he has to talk everything through to make sure every T is crossed and every dot I is dotted before we commit to anything. I don't think he can skip that step and it has nothing to do with me. It's not about me at all. It's about, it's about him. Um, so it just, just, it makes sense that like, it look, it makes sense that there's like, it's more complicated for him to make a decision than it is for me. I don't think I feel the level of responsibility for what happens to other people Mm -hmm. as he does. And therefore I can make a more snap, you know, in the moment decision and I can feel really good about it. Mm -hmm. And, or I can think things through really fast. Like I can just kind of do the judging and the weighing of all the Mm -hmm. different things and be like, Nope. Okay. This is what I think. Let's move forward. And, and that's just not how it works for him. Yeah. Yeah. It is like ultimately that realization that like, even though you are a, a, um, very bonded pair, you are not each other. Like you are distinct right. individuals yes. with, um, it's the opposite of enmeshment, whatever, whatever that is like, like yeah. understanding that you're a, an individual and as is he, um, I mean, I think the biggest, I touched on a couple of reframes for Brian, but something I come back to a lot is the very thing that drew me to him when I was 21 years old is the thing that makes us a really great pair. And it is a very much an opposites attract kind of thing. Like I would not do well with someone who matched me in my oneness. I just wouldn't. Now, what's interesting is Brian could be very detail oriented and care deeply about being thorough. And even like to the point of perfectionism on certain in certain areas and with certain things, he's neater than I am in some ways. And he, he probably is like, whether he's a nine or a two, I bet he's a one wing because there are yeah. things about him that are quite detailed and organized and methodical. Um, he's a great spreadsheet guy and he can be very tidy and organized, but what he isn't and where he is an excellent match for me is in that ability to be chill in the moment, to go with mm-hmm. the flow, to not need to know what's going to happen in order to have a good day and to model that for our kids and to model like what it looks like to be like, well, the place is closed. Well, what are we doing instead? We're going to go over here. Like I, that is the perfect match for me. It really is. So like anything else is noise that I, that we and I can deal with because the balance that we have there, I think is, I, you know, 21 years later, I feel super duper grateful for. So that's not really a personality reframe, but maybe a coming back to like why this works. And then everything else is noise. And it, and it's, it's important noise. Sometimes, sometimes it's a division of labor thing. We're like still in ongoing conversations about mom being the default parent and why mom is the one that the teachers email and why mom is the one. And this is like a societal cultural problem, but it is also continues to be a challenge in my house and it is getting better. It, we are getting better at being like, well, wait a second. Like why, (laughs) why, why don't you know how to, um, order Violet's lunches in the school porter portal system. Like, why am I the only right. one who knows that? Okay, well, let's fix that. It's not your fault, but it also is, it is your fault if we keep having a learned helplessness and we keep normalizing that that's how it should always be. So, um, that's, 
that is not even a person. Nothing I said answered the question. So I don't know. Do no, you I think it did. Though? It's a reframe. It's all a reframe, <laughs> right? And yeah, I think two things came out of it for me. One is that I think it's really important. You know, you're talking about the go with the flowness and whether Brian is a, a nine or a two. I think he and I have a lot of that yes. same, you know, we've talked a lot about that before, that there's some similarities there. And just as you need someone to remind you to go with the flow, like I need someone to make sure things are moving along because yeah, like even if 90% of the time I'm on it, 10%, that means 10% of the time I'm not <laughs> And like, I really do need that, um, person who does the thing that they say they're going to do over and over because it reminds me to do the same. Like yeah. it helps mm-hmm. me prioritize that and make that. And I think that's part of why yours and my relationship is so good as a, as a business partnership, because we both want to do the right thing. We mm-hmm. both want to show up and do the right thing and, and do the thing we say we're going to do. I think your personality uh, is more able to do the small things yep. that create that result. And my personality is more likely to get a little lost in the big vision or forget about the little things that matter and things like that. Yeah. So anyway, I think that like, every personality type can have the best intentions in the world. And I think a one is very uniquely suited to be the person to make sure all the stuff gets done so that the good intentions aren't just intentions. And I appreciate that about you because there definitely are things that I would have just forgotten about or let go of or gotten overwhelmed and not circled back to because I'm just not as, I'm just not as focused on seeing it all through. And to that, I absolutely need the two in you, the relationship oriented and the bigger picture thinker and, um, the, the one who like sees a desire and wants to make it a reality because otherwise I would be over, like, I would be over here finding tasks to complete that actually don't (laughs) move toward any bigger desire. Like I desire is like a kind of a corny word, but like a, like a, what are we, why are we checking boxes? Like I'm so happy checking boxes. I don't even know why without a you. So. Yeah. The other thing I thought of that I just was loving, you're talking about, um, you and Brian working together to maybe break some of those very stereotypical gender roles when it comes to parenting. I think that's a really unique thing when mom is the one yeah, and dad is the two or the nine or whatever. I look at that and think in my situation, I've now been divorced for five years and I still am the only one who knows how to log in to pay for certain things. I still handle all of that emotional labor because in some ways it feels like it's just my lot because I'm the nurturer, you know, like that in some ways it just feels like I should be doing it because it's like this weird combo of two and mom. And then on the other hand, I'm also too easygoing and like a little too scattered about like, there's like the easygoingness of me going, well, it didn't really didn't hurt. I did it. It's no big deal. And then, then the next part where I'm also so big picture thinker, so focused on so many other things that I'm not like sitting down and accounting for like how many hours of my life have I spent being that person. It just, the day happens and it's over and I move on to the next day. And I think that that just, that, that, type of matching where mom is the two and dad is the whatever other thing mm-hmm. um can make it so that they dad doesn't notice the things that aren't going well in dad's world uh-huh. 
because they're all not going well in mom's world. You know what I mean? And then there's no reason to change it. Yeah. Like neither John nor I are, um, are not sufficiently motivated to make a change there. And yeah. I don't have that kind of thing going on with Eric. So it's just interesting. I, I do think that's interesting. And I think now we're like into the co-parenting and gender roles thing, but where there there's sometimes where it absolutely makes sense to lean into the personality traits, your gifts, like your unique gifts can bring to your co-parenting relationship, whatever they bring and your partners can match it. And it doesn't have to look the same. I think for every couple, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I don't think it's bad if mom is the one who orders the school lunches or like reads all the teacher emails, for example. But if it's not even a conversation about load sharing and right. and like division of labor, I think that's when that's when it can feel tricky. And I have in my in my least evolved moments, I have found myself thinking, well, of course, Brian has an easygoing personality <laughs> because he can because. Yeah. Literally all the details are taken care of by me. And that's not exactly true either. Yeah. Yeah. But I can see why it feels that way. All right. We've talked plenty about our partners, uh, more challenging personality traits. So what do you think yours is Megan? Like as what would Eric say? And then is there a positive yeah. reframe for yours as well? Well, you know, it's, I think I've already kind of touched on this. So this may seem a little repetitive, but I do think there's an, um, sort of an idea that I do things on a whim that I don't think through hurdles or consequences. Like I'm free spirited to the point of not thinking about anything or that he's the only one doing the hard work mm -hmm. of considering all the things that could go wrong or right. like what like the implications the of a decision. Yeah. yeah. And I think again, like we've kind of circled around this. I, I think I would like for him to know if he was reframing it, there actually is a lot of thinking happening. Like I yeah. am considering and thinking it's just that my criteria for what counts as a potential problem or something we're thinking about is very different. I also think I can be a much more silent processor. Um, mm. I do my processing very quickly and it's usually just in my head and I don't necessarily and maybe this is something you've noticed about me. Like I don't necessarily come forward with all of the potential issues I see. I just think through them really fast and then I move on. And sometimes they'll come up again later. Like sometimes I can be a bit of a delayed processor, mm -hmm. but I'm not somebody who wants to talk through all the things that could go wrong. I get really impatient doing that actually. So, um, yeah, I think that's just like the reframe. It's not, it's not, that's really just more me explaining myself, yeah. I guess, <laughs> than reframing, but like, just know that sometimes there's more, I guess what I would say to him, were he in this room, maybe he's got his like head up against the door. He's listening. <laughs> I don't know. I, just that there's, a, there's more thinking and consideration happening than may be obvious to someone who's not going to detail it all out loud, all the things that could happen that could make this yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. So that's all. Yeah. I like, that. I like that. Um, I mean, my most challenging trait that Brian would say, I think it would be that I, there are a lot of conditions and criteria in the way of me relaxing, connecting and just having a good time. Like I think he would think that many conditions must be met, whether that's, counters that have been wiped or kids that are all healthy, that I'm not worried about anything, that it's like, there's a big long checklist of things that like 
we're not okay or I'm not okay or I can't just like exhale until all these criteria have been met and that I would imagine as a partner that would be depressing and exhausting because like there's no there's no winning like when is it yeah you know um and I don't know what the positive reframe is for that except that I'm trying (laughs) and (laughs) and I I I think sometimes no here's the positive reframe sometimes I think I get a reputation for being more stressed out than I am or more controlling than I really am in some in some scenarios I'm actually very much joyfully enjoying my way of doing things and taking care of my family and getting things done. And what looks to someone else like chores or productivity task mastering is actually quite enjoyable for me. It's just my own way. Well, I would also add to that, that you creating, um, like like you creating a system or a criteria, set of criteria or whatever around which you can relax or you can go with the flow or you can enjoy yourself means you're also creating an environment for other people where they're probably benefiting from it and don't even know it. Like they maybe are benefiting from the work you've done that can be kind of silent and unnoticed work. And that's like, no matter what your personality type is, again, it's like that mom thing over and over. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it may seem like you're just kind of a drag in your head, but actually you're making life better for everybody in your household. They just don't always notice it. I appreciate that. I like that reframe. Let's go with that one. Yeah. Let's just go with that. And I hope that's not like a depressing way to end it. Cause I think every mom out there listening is like, yep. And, um, that's all of us. Right. But, (laughs) um, okay. Well, it's time to wrap. We have on Tuesday, a fun episode about why are the children getting sick all the time this fall? Not why I think we know why, Um, But I'm talking to Jamie on our contributor team about just how to manage um, something that's kind of new for a lot of families who stayed home a lot during COVID, which is the constant onslaught of non-life-threatening childhood illnesses that come in and out through the door. Um, So Jamie and I are going to be talking about that coming up on Tuesday. And Megan, this was fun. We'll talk to everybody soon. This was fun. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by The Essential Calendar. 
Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because its beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time. Yeah, and with summer fast approaching, now is a great time to get the essential calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash the mom hour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash the mom hour.